reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, since he was a righteous man, yet willing, unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was his intention when, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home, for it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, the children like to come up for a children's homily. Come on up. I don't bite. Hi. You need to come see me? Yeah. Hi, sweetie. How are you doing? You want to sit here beside me? Okay. Hi there. Hi, how old are y'all? Four and six? Oh, good. Hi there. Oh, this is sweet. We're all holding hands today. I was going to read a book to you, okay? This little book, I won't read the whole thing, but just a little bit of it, okay? Is this a pretty book? Let's read this book. The name of this chapter is Ha'avrot, and it says, Zay Sefer Ha'avrot. Ha'avrot shel hayam ha'ivri. Ha'avrot shel hayam ivri ham Abraham Yitzchak Yaakov. Yitzchak haya haben shel Abraham. Yaakov haya haben Yitzchak. Ani ivri viata ivri. Aval Abraham haya ha'ivri ha'ashon. Is that a fun book? What am I talking about? Here's the picture. Does that help? Don't worry, the picture has nothing to do with what I just read. How come you don't understand what I'm reading? It's a language you don't know, isn't it? You know there live different languages in the world, and different people speak different languages. Did y'all know that? And this is in a language called Hebrew. And not a whole lot of people I know speak or read Hebrew. But I read this because sometimes when we try to communicate with people, try to tell people things, it's important that we're able to speak the language that they understand so that we can tell them things, right? You can tell people, you can tell your parents things you want because you speak English, they speak English, right? So this works. But sometimes if you have someone who doesn't speak your language, it's hard to communicate. Well, God had that problem. He wanted to share with us, his people, how much he loved us. 
But it was very hard because God is so different from us. It was hard for us to understand, wasn't it? So Jesus, God sent Jesus, his son, to become human so he could live with us. And as one of us, he could show us what God was like. He could show us how much God loved us. But we needed God to become human for us to understand him. Okay? Does that make sense? Oh, you guys have got it, don't you? Okay, y'all can go back to your parents now. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for sitting beside me. Oh, if she was any cuter, it'd be illegal. All right, let's talk about this passage that we, these passages that we read today. How many of you have ever heard someone say, oh, this prophecy in Isaiah about the virgin conceiving and bearing a son, that, that he doesn't really mean virgin, it doesn't really mean that Mary was a virgin. You hear that? Some of you have heard people say that sort of thing. Bible scholars, I've heard priests say that sort of thing because their Bible teachers have taught them that. I want to explain that passage today because there has been a lot of confusion a lot of Bible scholars point out that the word that Isaiah uses doesn't necessarily mean virgin. It just means young girl, young woman. That's true. However, it's a very specific type of girl. The word is alma. When, God, when Isaiah said, the virgin shall conceive, he used the word alma, which of course comes from the Hebrew verb alam, which means to hide, a hidden girl. Now this confuses a lot of Bible scholars because they didn't grow up in an ancient Near Eastern culture. They never lived as nomads. But it was true in ancient Near Eastern nomadic culture that when a, a girl was born, she would go to live in the women's tent, live in her mother's tent, and there she would live and stay hidden, as you were, in the tent of the women until she reached puberty, and then she could come out. We kind of have a similar thing, don't we? Girls reach a certain age, and we have a coming out party. I had a delightful time celebrating the quinceanera for uh, a member of our parish just a week or so ago, a coming out party, a time that we can, that a girl comes, becomes a woman. And so the Alma refers specifically to that hidden girl, that young girl that has not yet achieved puberty. So of course she's a virgin. She's not eligible to be married yet. But the word means specifically a prepubescent girl, someone who is 9 or 10 or 11, not 15 or 16. So that's very important to understand that when Isaiah uses this term, while it doesn't necessarily mean virgin, it does mean virgin within the cultural context. It's a cultural word. And we know this to be true because when the scholars in the first and second centuries before Christ translated the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, they translated Alma into Parthenos, the Greek word that specifically means virgin. And they did that because they did not have a nomadic culture to fall back on. But the Alexandrian scholars who did this, who grew up from childhood speaking both Hebrew and Greek, probably as well as Latin, because 
who was a multilingual culture. They knew both Hebrew and Greek better than any scholars do today because this was their natural language. And they knew that Isaiah specifically meant a virgin. So I share that, that with you. It's, it's kind of technical, I know, but I really have three reasons I want to kind of share these things with you. And the first reason is that you realize when Jesus gave his commission to go into the world and make disciples of the nations, he wasn't just talking to priests. He was talking to all of us. It is all of our responsibility to bring God's teachings to the people that we know, to make disciples of everyone, the people we work with, our family, our friends, our neighbors. And it's helpful when we have some misunderstanding out there in the culture to understand the truth so that we can share it more, more truthfully and that way people can understand better. Because the prophecy of the virgin just doesn't begin with Isaiah. It goes all the way back to the earliest chapters of Genesis when God promised that it was the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And see, we have that actual image here with Our Lady of Grace where her foot is stamping on the head of a serpent. Because as Eve disobeyed God, she refused to abide by God's will and thereby helped lead the world into sin, Mary submitted herself to the will of God. When she gave her fiat, when she said, let it be done to me according to your word. Whenever we submit to God, lay our own agendas aside and submit to God, we with Mary crush the head of the serpent. But she did that by submitting to God, and God specified all the way in Genesis that it was the seed of the woman that would come to crush the head of the serpent. In the Old Testament, when Moses was instructed to build an ark for the, of the covenant, a box to hold the law of God, and the Ten Commandments were placed into this box, that it was lined with gold inside and out. And when Mary became the ark of the new covenant, when the very word of God dwelt in her womb, God ensured that her womb was pure filled with grace, inside and out. We call that the Immaculate Conception, that God purified her. See, the Mary's, the, Mary's preparation and the role that Mary had was so important that from the beginning of time all the way up until her day, it was, there was this constant word from God, the virgin will conceive, the virgin will conceive. And so, on this day, we remember this, that God has given this, the virgin will conceive. Now, Mary, again, wasn't all mom. She was a girl before the age of puberty. And there are a number of reasons why an all mom would go to live with a man. And one of those would be when a man was a widower, his wife has died, but he had children at home. And so he could take on an Alma, a young prepubescent girl, to come live with him to help him care for his children. But it wasn't until after she achieved puberty when it was both legal and moral for them to consummate their marriage and for them to be married. 
And this appears to be the situation with Joseph and Mary, that he has, he has betrothed to her, but they're not yet fully married because she hasn't achieved puberty yet. But before that happens, something amazing happens. She becomes pregnant. And Joseph is confused and doesn't know what to do. But God, look, this, this guy's Joseph. I know how to talk to a Joseph. I'll give him a dream. And so God speaks to Joseph in a dream and says, don't be afraid. This is part of my plan. That's the second thing I want to share with you today. God has a plan. And when we see the plan for the Holy Family that God had for Mary and for Joseph, this is a plan that he had been proclaiming for ages. But God has a plan for each of us. And if we, like Mary and Joseph, can lay our own agendas aside, lay our own plans for ourselves aside, lay our own opinions aside, give up everything that we hold so dear, and just come to God and say, what do you want? God will tell us his plan. See, a lot of times we can't hear God's plan because we've got too many of our own plans in the way. God never violates our free will. But when we are willing to lay everything aside and come to Jesus and say, what do you want? then we can learn what God created us for, what our purpose is, the, the purpose that God has for us in this life, and then we can discover such incredible freedom and joy in fulfilling what God made us to do. And God has that plan for each of us, just as he did for Mary and for Joseph. And he will communicate that plan to us, even if it takes a dream communicate that plan so that we can fulfill what he created us to be. And let me tell you, you do not have to be as stubborn as I am. You don't have to wait until you're 64 years of age to finally get started doing what God plans for you to do. I was 64 when I was ordained a priest. I'm one of the oldest priests. I'm not the oldest priest to be ordained. I discovered that. I thought I might be. But you don't have to be that stubborn. You don't have to wait that long. You just have to lay your own plans aside. Give up your own agendas and say, God, what do you want? What do you want? I will do anything. And then God will communicate to you what it is he desires of each of us. And the third thing I want to share from this, these passages, just like I shared with the children, God desires to communicate himself to us. He wants us to learn who he is. He wants us to know what he is like. But throughout history, that was always difficult because whenever God tries to communicate with mankind inside of men, it gets confused. An example of that is Moses. He actually thought genocide was a good idea. Let's just go into Canaan and just kill them all. Kill the men, kill the women, kill the babies. Kill the goats, kill the cattle, kill the puppy dogs, kill everybody. Was that God's plan? No. How do we know that wasn't God's heart? Because when Jesus met a Canaanite woman, he didn't kill her. He had mercy on her. He healed her daughter. See, when Jesus comes to us, he reveals to us who God is. God has become man to communicate God's 
purpose, God's will, God's very essence and being to us. We know who God is because we know who Jesus is. I know a lot of people, both Catholics and Protestants, who want to take every word of the Bible literally, to give every word of the Bible equal importance. But we should know that's not the way it is. Because as you know, as we gather together, what do we do? We have an Old Testament reading, we have a New Testament reading, we have a psalm, and we have a gospel. But guess what happens when it comes to the gospel? We all stand up. Why do we stand up? This is different. This is important. Because God is perfectly revealed in the life and teaching ministry of Jesus. And everything else in Scripture, every, every word you hear from a preacher or a priest like myself or a bishop or anybody, all must come to understanding through the life and teaching ministry of Jesus. We must see all things through the lens of the life and teaching ministry of Jesus because he is the perfect revelation of God. Isaiah says, when Emmanuel is born, God is with us. The angel said to Joseph, you will call him Jesus because he will free his people from their sins. What is a sin? A lot of times we grow confused. We think a sin is something bad we did. We broke some law. We violated some rule. Oh, I committed a sin. No, a sin is much deeper than that. Those things that we do on the outside, they're just symptoms of what is going on on the inside. The sin is that pain that suffering, that wound that keeps us from allowing God to love us fully. Anytime we don't allow God to love us fully, that's the sin. And the things we do on the outside, that's just a symptom of the pain and the wound we have on the inside. And when Jesus came, he came as God with us because he wanted there to be no separation between God and us that we would live perfectly in the love of God, that we would not hold anything that would separate us from God, but we would live in complete, joyful submission to the God who created us, who made us his people. He has freed us from that which separates us from him so that he is with us in all things. And so Isaiah said, Emmanuel shall come God is with us. And that is such a beautiful promise. And a lot of times we go to God, we want something from God. Sometimes we kind of treat God like Santa Claus, don't we? We have our lists. And we come to God and we give him our list. This is what we want. And if things don't happen the way we want, we get angry with God. If people wearing funny collars do things they shouldn't do, we get angry. But it's not about me or men in funny collars or pointy hats. It's about Jesus is with you. And he never promised that his life was going to be easy. In fact, he actually kind of promised the opposite, didn't he? He said, in this world you will have trouble. He says, but do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. I am with you to the ends of the age. God is with us.
There is no longer a separation between us and God. And his love and his mercy can wash and cleanse us and fill us with his life and his joy and fill us with his purpose so that we can fulfill the reason we were made in this world. God is with us. And so when we stumble and we get lost and we get confused, that doesn't change anything. There is nothing we can do that can make God love us any more than he already does. There is nothing we can do that can make God love us any less than he already does. Because he is with us. In all things, in every trouble, in every turmoil, in every sadness and in every grief, and in every joy, in every victory, God is with us. And so God sent his angel to speak to Joseph in a dream. Do not be afraid. God is with us.